0: Welcome to the latest edition of At The Flicks, your one-stop shop for movie news, interviews and
1: reviews.
2: It's our lockdown review show. That means some new and some old movies.
1: For the old, we look at films which were released in April in previous years, especially selected by our erudite
2: contributors.
0: After that, there's Darren's Dash, which this month includes The Hunt, one cut of the dead and a harpoon. And I've actually heard of one of them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> me too, strangely.
0: Greetings and salutations. My name is Jeff, and my main cinema interests are political and horror movies. Now, as lockdown continues, the other contributors have just become disembodied voices to me. I now think of Neil as my... Rumpy version of Harvey, and always thankful that others can't see him.
2: Hi, my name is Graham. My main cinema interests are sci fi and comic book movies. Disembodied Voices is right, Jeff. As the only technically savvy one of the team, I could have introduced the other two to video chatting. Neil and Jeff in Zoom HD is the stuff of nightmares.
1: <laughs> Hi, my name is Neil, and I just like films. Uh, I'm just happy not to be looking at Jeff.
3: <laughs> Hi, my name is Phil, and you can find out more about my film tastes via my blog on philthebearblog.wordpress.com.
1: Hi,
4: my name is Darren, and if you want to know more about my film taste, check out my articles under Couchstone on halfguarded.com.
0: Well, thanks, guys. Wow, this is a solid team we've got together for our review show this month. Competent, focused, and knowledgeable. And, of course, Neil. I reckon this team could do a better job running the country than the current lot, or as I like to think of them, carry on gaffin. And that title got me to thinking. Clearly, I had too much time on my hands in lockdown. But what if we were going to make a film about this government? I've got script ideas. Would it really be like a carry-on film? Now, if it was, you got to think who you'd cast. Then I thought, well, you know, it's just in my imagination, like Neil's voice. If you could bring people back from the dead, and I'm pretty sure Johnson's already done that, Exhibit 1, Jacob Rees-Mogg, I know exactly who I would cast. So I just want to lay this on you guys. Feel free to jump in any time. Boris Johnson, played by Sid James. Ha ha ha!
5: <laughs>
0: A lecherous womanizer, laid back and usually failing at his attempts to organize. That's Sid James I'm talking about, just I don't you confused. <laughs> Dominic Rob, Bernard Breslaw. He excelled at playing the clumsy dimwit or occasionally the bombastic, threatening persona who constantly insisted that the ordinary people or peasants worked harder. Again, I need to clarify, that's a description of the characters Bernard Breslau paid. Pretty Patel, I'll have her played by Barbara Windsor. I think we can dispense with a younger, saucy Windsor in revealing costumes that flew off for no reason. I want this to be a family film, and I can only just about look at Patel when she's fully dressed. So, I was thinking of the rather dim-witted persona Windsor would sometimes play, easily led, especially when on holiday in Israel. <laughs> oh <laughs> dear! Michael Gove has to be played by Kenneth Williams, haughty, proud, and elitist.
3: Be quiet! Be quiet! Quiet! I'm
0: not going to answer any more questions.
3: Go away! Oh, it's so queer.
0: When faced with shouts and insults from across the parliamentary divide, Gove or Williams would stand up and shout, "Stop messing about!" In a way, I can't copy. Or we could reenact that famous moment from Carry On Cleo. Infamy!
5: Infamy! They've all got it in for me! Ah!
0: But I still want to see that stabbing scene at the end. (laughs) Well, what about the straight man role? There's always one in a carry on film a hapless hero who's a bit dim, who accidentally falls (laughs) into success at the end. Now, if this was a, a deeper film, something with intelligence behind it we could have peter sellers repeat his role as Chauncey Gardner from being there instead and staying in carry-on mode it would have to be richie sunak played by jim dale who would and i say this non-politically correctly now i know that he'd have to be blacked up for his performance but oh, not geez. anymore not anymore <sighs> Graham. no 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 i want to go on record the saying i would never ever condone that, even though they did it in loads of earlier carry-on films. Is that good enough for the edit? (laughs) Probably. Right, good. Wait I hear Neil cry. What about Dominic Cummins? Who could possibly play him? Well, there has to be Charles Hawtry. Oh, hello. A man who refused advice about his illness and died as a result a few days later. A man who took great (laughs) delight in ripping up (laughs) autograph books when offered to him by kids to sign in. Or if they can't get him, because let's face it, he's dead, they could always bring back Benedict Cumberpatch. So, is there anyone I'm missing you would add? Or do you think it should be another team play in this cabinet? I'm sure Graham would like to see all of Marvel's Avengers. He, prob- <laughs> he probably sees Chris Evans as Boris Johnson.
2: Yeah, well, Jeff, you have been in isolation too long. I have a shorthand version. Whenever I see them on the television, I just see them as a bunch of clowns, scary clowns with the organisational skills of the Bash Street Kids and none of the charm.
0: So you're seeing it as a version of it by Stephen McKinley,
1: <laughs>
2: probably.
0: <yes>. Yeah, <laughs> Boris down in the sewer saying, "Come here, yeah. little boy."
1: Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I would just see it as a series of Michael Spicer videos. That would do.
3: <laughs> now do me. You two Some. need to watch more of them.
2: Yeah, we certainly do.
3: Anybody else? I think my my carry on knowledge is too poor. I just see them as uh, like the Muppets, but I'm not sure. What, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure whether it's going to come out like well at the end, like it normally does in a Muppet film. Uh, I
0: like <laughs> the who Muppets. Would see, who would you see as the two guys in the box then? Would that be like backbenchers, like Theresa May and Jeremy Hunt booing them on?
3: Yeah, probably. I mean, Theresa May's probably sitting there going, it's not as easy as you thought it was, is it?
0: Uh, And also, thank Christ, it's not me anymore. (laughs) 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 That magic money tree's gone. Uh, (laughs) What about you, Darren?
4: We'll see now um, they've been reacting lately. I just have the Monty Python team. Come in and do it. So you could have Graham Chapman as you could give Graham Chapman as Boris Johnson. So to telling you that you've got to go to work, but you've not to go out or actually take any transport and all that sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, you could have Carol Cleveland as um, Priti Patel. And um, basically, I will be perfectly honest. I've not been in, interested in any political figure since the days of Spitting Image. So. For the rest of the cabinet, I just get all of the, all the other team all doing the, um, the women gimmick they used to do when we dress up as women with the high pitched voices, and they can just be the rest of the cabinet.
3: <laughs> you know, in Life of Brian, when um, they keep saying he's the son of God, and she's like, No, he isn't. Um, they can have that for every time Boris has said something, but then he goes
2: back on it. No, he didn't say that.
0: <laughs> God, that would be a busy job, wouldn't it? Eh? <laughs>
2: Okay, enough of this. Let's start the reviews everyone is waiting for.
1: Thanks to the lockdown, we are taking a different review approach this month. We have a couple of new films to talk about before we go to the specialist section, where we review films originally released in the month of April
2: in years past. Starting with the new, let's go to a Netflix hit. Extraction.
0: This is an
5: extraction.
2: So who are the players?
5: Biggest drug lord in India versus biggest drug lord in Bangladesh. That's some mythic shit, huh?
1: It's a kidnapping. Drug lord's son. Clock's running at 16 hours. Proof of life
4: is of six hours ago.
5: survive you do exactly as I say move fast slow
2: something's wrong the city's on lockdown
0: yeah no shit best thing you could do for that kid would be to put a bullet in his brain
5: we can send a chopper and get you out but you
2: gotta leave the kid behind Chris Hemsworth is tough mercenary Tyler Rake, a man haunted by a personal tragedy. Despite his problems, he is hired for a very dangerous mission in India. The assignment is to rescue the teenage son of an imprisoned Indian drug lord from another even more powerful drug lord. The mission starts well, but soon descends into chaos as Tyler and the boy struggle to stay alive. Phil! Did Chris Hemsworth bring his usual charm to this tough guy role?
3: Yeah, I think he did, actually. I really enjoyed this film, despite its flaws. I think it's it's a lot of fun. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Commando. Chris Hemsworth is a superhero mercenary who can kill everyone in cool and gruesome ways. And maybe I haven't seen enough films recently due to our current situation <laughs> but i i revelled I revelled in the bonkers like murky, muddy plot that doesn't make that much sense, and the cliches i'm I swear. Some of the cliches they put in there were on purpose. So the personal history thing that kind of you get the occasional flashback to the fact that he's got a cool name like Tyler Rake. There's one particular fight scene where he uses a rake. It's awesome. It's fun. And it's it's actually got two sustained action sequences, one of which has got a car chase in it, which I thought was particularly good. And the use of camera that will keep you interested on a Saturday night when you're watching Netflix.
1: It was excellent stunt work, I thought, uh, from the uh, director who is a stuntman. Hemsworth again. I, I agree with Phil. He's excellent. Uh, shoot, shoot. Feel sorry for himself. Shoot, shoot. Feel sorry for himself.
4: That's exactly <laughs> right. Yes, <That's>
1: well, put. <laughs> there, there are two Sh- other films. shooty, shooty, cry, cry. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) like kiss yeah indeed yeah two other recent films called extraction one with bruce willis and one with danny glover both rubbish and both slated by the critics so that's a positive (laughs) um the fight scenes are just like john wick etc it's cliche cliche and it's not much of a story so yeah but it is big dumb disposable and a great crowd pleaser
4: okay darren yeah, for the, for the most part I did I did enjoy this. I'm a big action movie fan, so obviously all the scenes of the you know, the long takes, the, the car chases, the fight scenes I was really, really into. And there were a lot of such, like really creative and exciting stuff on there. Aside from the action scenes, there wasn't a lot to interest me, I'm afraid. When you got to the talkie bits, I just found myself getting bored. There wasn't really anything in there that, that I thought interesting. And do we know a backstory, that cliché just, just really you know, took it out for me. I sometimes think with some of these Netflix shows, if you're going to have – and action films in general – Unless you're going to have like a really really interesting backstory, why not just have him like just sort of like, just like a mysterious figure, you know? like something like from the um, Clint Eastwood films when he was a man with no name. You know, if you've not really got anything interesting, don't don't have it. Just have him sort of like a mysterious figure. But for a film like this, I think two hours was a bit too long. The action scenes were great, but I don't know about an eighties um, action film. Uh, to, to me, it felt more like a, a Hong Kong action film particularly how you had sort of the guy who uh, basically betrayed him and ultimately he had to team up with towards the end. So I thought that was like a nice little thing, the fact that it wasn't just like one guy and just a group of baddies, the fact that you had different factions having to fight. So that was a little bit interesting. But generally speaking, I enjoyed it. It's not one I'd sort of, you know, re-watch, but for a for a Netflix film for for a night, it was perfectly fine.
0: I just want to pick up on something there, and, and that's the point I was going to sort of pick up with Phil as well. It didn't feel like an 80s action film, because a lot of the 80s action films, the way they were directed, there was a lot of humour in them. There's no humour in this. It's fairly Yes, there is. <laughs> is there?
1: I found it funny.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm,
1: yeah, I'm afraid so, you Jeff, you're, you're
3: wrong there. It's one of those things where, so actually, so what Darren said and uh, what Neil said, I think you could merge all those things. So for me, the 80s part of it... Is basically you've got this guy who's invincible, takes his shirt off a lot. And he's got a stupid <laughs> name, right? So that's the '80s <laughs> commando. <laughs> but, but they so, do, they
0: they direct it as as though it's like a first-person shooting game. Yeah, but then
3: but then Darren said that actually the factions and the was siding with the bad guy thing actually, yeah, that's very much like a sort of John Woo kind yeah. of uh, yeah, scenario. Yeah, and, yeah. and Neil said all the fights are kind of you know John Wick, Jason Bourne type things. So actually, yeah. it is those. Three yeah. decades of uh, action sort of thing merged together with a really odd, muddy, definitely something to do with fathers and sons, but I wasn't quite sure. Let's shoot somebody.
0: No, and, <laughs> and, and, and to be fair, it didn't bore the ass off me like John Wick 3. So that, that is something in its favour,
2: Graham. God. Yeah, well, you know, we're all in lockdown. At this point, we'd watch anything. So I I had very low expectations of this going in. But I'm with Darren on this and and Phil, you know, it was very Hong Kong action film. Uh, I thought the fight choreography was off the chart. It was really, really good. And I loved the clichés. The clichés had clichés on those clichés. You know, it was like meta clichés. It was just so funny to watch. Just take your brain out and just watch it. It was bubblegum for the eyeballs. It didn't really make any sense. Great evenings entertainment. Get a few beers, just watch it. it, it you'll forget it in five minutes. But it was good fun.
0: Okay. Well, the first thing, and nobody's picked up on it, and I, I was really shocked, is we outsource IT to this country? I mean, <laughs> how can you <laughs> do that with all this running around and bloody things being destroyed left, right and centre? It's
3: a large so. country and, and actually most of the action's in Bangladesh. <laughs> yeah, so, Yeah, you're yeah. doing well so far. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Did anybody pick up this running theme of inception all the way through it? I mean, Harry Gregson's Williams on occasion, his music was exactly like Zimmer's music from Inception. And this, like, the child slightly out of focus and coming more and more in focus. Uh, I thought, uh, you know, they're, they're adding that layer into this, this angst by doing a knock-off Inception in the middle of this film that...
1: Adds to the clichés, doesn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, yeah, it does. But then, you know, I like the opening. I thought the opening with the... The cinematography of the city, and it zooms in on Hemsworth with a gun, which actually that could be any scene in the film. He's there in that first part of the shootout, and then it flashes back. I loved all of that. I I then thought he got bogged down. It's a humorless role. I think it did him a huge disservice, this film. But I think the biggest thing for me that really irritated the hell out of me was the ending. So you got that helicopter (laughs) shot down that lands in three inches of water, and he manages to fall into it. And suddenly it's like, you know, the deepest river ever. How did that happen?
2: Hang on. I've got copyright on applying logic to films. Jeff. <laughs> no, There's okay. no logic. In this. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> None of it made sense. I, you know what I loved about this? I love the way it just surprised me now and again. Some of the run-and-gun stuff was phenomenal when they were running through the building. Oh, buildings.
0: no, that board, yeah. The, the hand-to-hand knife fighting stuff, I thought that was okay. But you've got to bear in mind, these are people that made those bloody Avengers films, so it was never going to get off to a good start.
3: You've got to say, the, the scene, from the moment he arrives in that sort of hovel in uh, Bangladesh where the kid is being held to the point at which he gets to the extraction zone. That entire 10 minutes, 15 minutes of like shooting, car chases, etc., that's phenomenally good and well put together. Some of the stuff in the car chase uh, scenes where he's in and out of cars is just brilliant.
2: Yeah, and I loved the the two trucks where where he got hit by the truck and then the other guy got hit by another truck. It just made me roar with laughter.
0: Okay, so on general, other than me, we all liked it then.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not going to win um, any Oscars unless, of course, there's no other films released this year, but, you know. (laughs)
0: Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. Over to you, Neil.
1: Okay, let's talk about one of the last cinema films under review The Invisible Man. He was a sociopath. He said that I could never leave him. He controlled how I looked and what I wore. Then I was controlling when I left the house. And eventually, what I thought. What happened to him?
2: He dreams dead.
4: Listen, you're getting your freedom back, okay?
1: He said that
5: wherever I went, he would find me. Walk right up to me. And I wouldn't be able to
1: see him. Adrian is dead. He's not dead. He has figured out a way to be invisible. Where are you? Show yourself!
4: Surprise.
3: Let me help you. You can't help me.
1: Surprise. This is not one I'll be seeing. The latest version of the HG Wells classic is updated to more horror than science fiction. Cecilia Cass, played by Elizabeth Moss, her life seems to finally take a turn for the better when her abusive ex-partner commits suicide and leaves her a fortune. However, as strange and terrifying events begin to happen around her, Cecilia begins to suspect her ex may not be dead after all. She just can't see him. Darren, is this a horror film with a theme of domestic abuse for the Me Too generation?
4: It had that theme, you know, that that was basically what the entire story was based on. And for that, for me, it worked really, really well. The fact that, you know, nobody sort of obviously believed her when she, when she thought that this, uh, this guy who seemingly committed suicide was stalking her. But I thought this, you know, the whole story of her sort of like you know trying to escape from his abuse in the the first instance was really really well done and i I liked how the the story also played on this i thought the film was absolutely terrifying in places and the fact that the camera would settle just on an empty chair for about like 30 seconds with nothing going on and yet that seemed to terrify me because I knew the implication that somebody was sat in that, that chair, un- unbeknownst to her. And then there was a scene later on where the, you're just in a kitchen, a long shot, and all of a sudden the, um, the flame from the cooker just basically uh, increases. And it was just like little things like that, but absolutely, I, f- I thought it was so nerve wracking and so clever. Just just little things that nothing was actually happening, but they managed to sort of to, to make. I, I I thought it was great, and I actually you know really really did enjoy this film. When it started to get to a, a more technology based explanation for it, I I did start to sort of be a bit worried because that's not really my sort of thing. that I'm I'm really into in a lot of films, but I thought they did that really really well. They we still made it a very, very orientated film. I thought it was really clever. I didn't realise it still sort of afterwards is. You really, really get to hate the villain of this film, despite the fact that you don't actually see him for, for the majority of it. I don't just mean you don't, you don't see him. At the start, you only see a, a glimpse of it. You just basically just his presence over what it's doing to her just works so well. I would like to see possibly them um, take this story further.
2: Graham? Obviously, it scared the crap out of me, but I strangely enjoyed it felt great sympathy for her and you're absolutely right darren that bit where you just get those shots and there's nothing in the shot that you can see obviously because he's invisible and then he'll move something or he'll as you said turn the flame up or you you just see his breath and you think oh Mm. and it's actually a huge relief when she tipped the can of paint over him you know, and you can actually see him yeah. for a moment. You're like, oh, thank God, right, okay. Even <laughs> though that's quite horrific, it's a strange sort of weird feeling of, oh, at least now I can see him and it's not so scary. But yeah, it certainly worked for me. My wife left after about 20 minutes and went, no, no I'm not taking any more of this. <laughs> Clear, cleared off. So I was left to watch it on my own. But it's really, really good. I really think Elizabeth Moss... Really went for it, there, and it's a first-time director, isn't it? This his no, first no, feature. He's,
3: no, he's done um, okay. two or three other horror films.
2: Oh, has he? Okay, but I thought it was really well done, and I couldn't see how they did a lot of the effects, especially when he was dragging her across the floor and things like that. Really, really good special effects.
3: I echo those thoughts. So, this is probably the last film I saw at the cinema that I would say is like you know this is on my list of. You know, when I come out of cinema, I, if I think a film is really, really good, I'll add it to the list, which helps my top 10 of the year sort of thing at the end because you know, this is one of those films I came out of and I just thought that was phenomenal. It's a really good new spin on it. It, it does that new horror thing quite well where it, the actress Elizabeth Moss manages to make you kind of believe that actually is it in her head and it, it mm. kind of has that feel of, you know, this could – be both ways this could be you know she is psychologically damaged as a result of the abuse that she's faced and it can be the horror film that it actually is but on top of those sort of more kind of cerebral horror stuff and like those empty scenes and stuff it does feature probably one of the best scenes in a horror film that I've seen for a really really long time and hopefully if you've seen it, you instantly know what scene I'm talking about. I don't want to spoil mm. it for anyone. But he manages to make simple, ordinary, everyday moments scary by either having an empty space or something happen that you know you would never want to happen in that scenario. I think that the ending was also as equally good as everything had gone before because um, it gives you that little doubt and sort of root of... Mm, okay, what, what happened and what didn't happen. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I I, I wanted to see it. I, I couldn't get around to it in the end, so it's a shame. And I know, Neil, there's no way on earth he would watch it. But I must admit, what the three of you have said has intrigued me even more. I'm really keen to see it now.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a good film. It's well, well made, well put together, and very well acted. And I must admit, Phil, I hadn't thought about the, point that it could be all in her head that's quite an interesting little insight into that i had not considered because yes she has been abused and you know he is effectively haunting her still so is it a real haunting or is it in her head yeah i like that that's really good
3: jeff has talked about this before and i'd be actually really interested in what you do think jeff when you do get to see it because it's got that feel of like the babadook in terms of okay in, in terms of a female lead who's She's psychologically under a lot of pressure. Is it real? Is it not real? And actually, to some extent, it doesn't really matter. If it is, it's still very, very scary.
0: A question for Phil and Darren, really. Given the fact that they've gone to lower-budget films for these this universal horror cycle that they keep trying to bring up, do you think this is the right approach to it now? Would you like to see a Bride of Frankenstein-type film made under these circumstances?
4: Yeah, originally when we started this, we tried to do like big uh, blockbuster Avengers type scenario with the mummy.
0: No, no. Before that, they did Dracula, didn't they? We
4: did jack and we did Dracula as well. Yeah, because horror films now getting, you know, everything's right with um, with Get Out and. Um, and us, when you get these horror films, which are set more in sort of like a, a modern-day set a modern-day storytelling, I think that is, you know, the, the way to go and just sort of, like, you know, be a bit more creative and look back to sort of some of these films, right? like Like said, Bride of Frankenstein or maybe sort of Creature from the Black Lagoon, that sort of thing, and, and try to do something a, a little more updated. But, you know, you know, go low budget. You know, you don't have to have the big, you know, massive special effects and cities being destroyed. Do like a small, you know, take these stories and do a more personal story. So, you know, that centres around, you know, because if you look at these films like Get Out and, and those, they're very character-based. So go that that way. And particularly because in the next couple of years I, I was reading something where they said that a lot of the studios are going to be cutting the budgets, you know, severely in films, you know, with what's going on at the moment. You know, do that, you know, go, go back to the days when horror films were sort of very low budget.
3: Yeah, I just I, I i don't think they need to be link them either. There, there's, I know obviously Marvel were doing amazing, and there was this whole thing of cinematic universe. But it strikes me that you know that's just overkill because for me, the mummy film that really sticks in my memory and is my version of the mummy is Brendan Fraser's version, and that's like a a fun, gung ho action adventure whereas you know this invisible man is a proper scary little thing on its own so don't link them do something that's right for that type of film so it can be if it's going to be a horror film then make it a horror film and go to you know the younger newer sort of people on the scene i imagine that jordan peele would do an amazing version of any of those films mentioned
0: I'm not too sure about that. I watched his Twilight Zone series, and I got mixed views on that big time.
3: But I mean, for that, was he showrunner or writer or everything? Or
0: uh, well, when you get to the end, to the last episode, you find there's something that has been put in every episode to link it all together. And clearly, Jordan Peele came up with that idea. They're just about to drop season two, and I think if it takes a step back from modern social. To, to more horror and make them shorter. That's part of the problem. They were, you know, 40 odd minutes long. Well, The Twilight Zone was about 25 minutes and they worked. they're they meant to be short and punchy. And I think that was a big problem he had with that series. But we'll see. But to come back to this, I am definitely, definitely intrigued and watching The Invisible Man. This so, is, uh,
3: this um, for the benefit of the viewers, this is one of Universal's. You can rent this now, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, for
0: 15 pounds, yeah,
3: yeah.
0: Whereas in about another three weeks, you can buy it for that,
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, but no, it's good. Graham,
2: after that excitement, we come to the older films under review. Each of us had to pick a film from a bygone year, the only stipulation was that it had to be released in the UK in the month of April. Here are our choices. First up, Darren's, originally released in April 1976. The Eagle has landed.
4: September 12, 1943. German paratroopers snatch Mussolini from his mountaintop prison in Italy. The event stuns the world. Inspired by the rescue of his ally, Hitler orders an even more daring bid to capture his greatest enemy. The explosive events of Jack Higgins' international bestseller, now seen as they happened in a film of epic suspense, The Eagle Has Landed.
0: A fun World War II adventure movie, remember them? Based on the bestselling novel from Jack Higgins. Now, following their success in their mission to smuggle Mussolini out of Italy, the German high command come up with an even more audacious idea. Send a crack German unit to England and kidnap Winston Churchill. This is real boy's own adventure stuff. So, what is it about this film that inspired you to pick it, Darren?
4: Well, it's one of my favourite films generally. It's definitely probably my favourite Men on a Mission movie. I think one of the things that always I found memorable about this, and I watched this at a very young age, is the fact that. I will not say you're on their side, but you're following the story through a group of people who are basically, as an Englishman, should be the villains. So you've got a special team of Nazis. You've also got an IRA gunman who's helping them. So these are people that I really should hate. And I found that I'm not wanting them to succeed. But I kind of want them to to actually get out of this film with their lives and escape somehow. In that way, I'm really sympathetic. I think the the, the weird thing is, and watching it again, I'm not sure that this is a film that you would actually get made for quite a long time. Is that, that the Nazis in it have sort of like heroic characteristics about them? So, for example, Michael Caine's character, when you first meet him, he tries to save a, a young Jewish girl who's uh, you know from who's basically being sent to a concentration camp. Um, he stands up to a an, an SS man, and because of this, him and his team get arrested. His team, by the way, like back him up, which I find is sort of like, there's like a like a sense of honor around them. This, you know, these these are just general soldiers who, just from our point of view, are on the wrong side. And when the mission basically goes um, goes awry, it's because one of the Germans has actually tried to save a little girl, and, and it was falling into a river, and he's about to be killed. And that's when their their sort of plot is discovered. I I, th- I think this is a great action movie. And and it's strange as well because we a lot of the um the guys in our side of the Americans, Larry Hagman is this some um, like really deranged, out of control uh, American general who's trying to have one last bit of glory and basically try to like, you know, take down the Nazis. And, and he's so out, out there that you basically you're not really on this side either. I just think it's a really good action movie. I've always enjoyed it. Yeah. And I think the action scenes are great. There's like a siege mentality to it and everything. I, I just think this is a cracking movie
0: out of curiosity the version you saw did it have the archival newsreel footage at the front
4: yes yes it did uh, the thing about mussolini's um
0: yes. uh, rescue yeah yeah we'll come back to that in a moment graham
2: i loved it i'd i'd seen it before but long long time ago and rewatching it was was quite an experience i'd forgotten how layered this story was so not only do you have like the um let's capture uh, Winston Churchill, but you've got all the internal politics happening within the Third Reich and people trying to outdo one another to get the uh, the Fuhrer's favor. And then you've got the actual dynamics of this specialist group of Germans who are not, they're not really Nazis, they're more just ordinary troops and, and they're very loyal, as, as Darren said, to each other. And they've the sort of band of brothers mentality there. And And also then you've got Michael Caine and how he was brought up and has a perfect English accent and all of that sort of stuff. And then they arrive in the in England and there's lots and lots of things going on. I I thought, wow, this is really well put together. And I don't remember that because I probably saw it when I was very young and I liked the action scenes. But it is really well done, really well plotted piece of work. And you know, the ending's very interesting. And I'll not give it away. But yeah, I was quite. Shocked at the ending because I'd forgotten that, and it's just a really good action movie with lots of depth. It was great, loved it.
0: Okay, and the uh, same question to you did it start with the archival footage? No, of the... no it didn't. right now, okay, so that brings me on. Shortened
2: version, yeah,
0: yeah, no, no, that's the longer version you saw. So there are two oh. cuts to this film. Oh, now before I go into that, I just want to say, I always say nobody sets out to make a bad film, but. There are people on occasion on a film that can't be bothered. And on this film, it was the director, John Sturges. He didn't give a toss. He'd had allegedly a lot of (laughs) drink problems. The producers complained about the scripts. We ripped pages out of it. And the moment film was finished, he got on a plane, never got involved in the editing at all. So the fact we have a film as good as it is, is thanks to Anne V. Coates, the editor. She saved this film. Michael Caine is still cross about, this film to this day. Tom Mankovitz, the scriptwriter, said it was the best work he ever did, ruined by the director. So, you know, full credit to Anne V. Coates, and they took a lot of her footage. So, that was the version that went out in '76 was about 30 minutes shorter, but it starts off with that film of Mussolini being rescued. The version I saw, which is the 2005 re edited version, starts with the meeting with Hitler where he comes up with the plan of, you know, well, great if we could get Churchill. So it doesn't have that footage. And then there's various other bits cut in. But even so, I think it is uneven as hell. You've got Kane, who I think gives a great performance, Sutherland, who's charismatic as hell. And then you've got this demented archer's subplot that's running through it, not (laughs) helped, by the, the lead villain there, the guy that Jenny Agata shoots, being voiced by Brian Blessed. <laughs> and I kept being put off by that all the way through. Oddly, even though it's thirty minutes longer, it did seem faster paced. But it said it was uneven, but watchable. The wife sat there all the way through it, which is always a good sign. The final shout out before I pass on to Phil. I thought lala Schifrin's main theme was tremendous. Phil,
3: well, I've I've not got much to say about it because I never got round to watching. It, I'm afraid it's oh, a dear. it's a film that um I've never seen and. I have to say, I'm quite intrigued now based on what you said, but I was mildly sort of not interested because I'm not a huge fan of The Great Escape and I saw it was made by the same director. But based on what you just said, I did notice that this was the last film by John Sturgis and I think that's, based on what you just said, uh, sounds fair.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is the guy that made The Great Escape, Magnificent Seven, Gunfight the OK Corral and he ends up, crucifying in what could have been a brilliant adventure movie.
1: Neil? Yeah, I didn't know what to think of it before I watched it. I can't remember watching it. I'm sure I did, but it's far more enjoyable than I thought it would be. It's well acted, Larry Hagman aside, I thought he was terrible. It's a watchable film. Michael Caine, without his German accent, as he would normally do, Donald Sutherland overacting with his Irish accent, still (laughs) seemed to work. I don't know how that... It's enjoyable, like everybody else has said. Yeah. Yeah. I'll leave it at that.
2: Jenny Agatha kept her clothes on. which Yeah, one mm, of the rare films
1: of that period.
0: (laughs) But um, no, good choice, uh, good choice, Darren. I think we yeah, all got something right.
2: out of that. Some of it was a bit odd, you know. It, it, it's not a, it's not a perfect movie. I mean, Jenny Agatha falls in love, you know, in yeah, two seconds, and that, you think that's, that's for a, sense. Sense.
0: It's a demented Archer's trailer. <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, that was that There's bit some... was a bit
1: odd. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you go in with low expectations. It's the
4: Irish yeah, it rattled me. along. It absolutely rattled. It's the Irish accent what she what appealed to her because she's been um, she's in a village where she's basically surrounded by wurzels, and then this uh, guy comes in with an Irish accent. <laughs> and to car.
0: Oh, a bit of trivia on that: Richard Harris was first cast in that part.
1: <laughs> now that would have been a lot better. And,
0: unfortunately, okay. at that time he was caught fundraising for the IRA in America, and they decided, oh, yeah, we, won't, we we won't have him after all.
1: From Darren's Choice to Graham's, Field of Dreams was released in April 1989.
5: I have just created something totally illogical.
1: That's what I like about
4: If you build it, he will come. If you build what, who will come? Insane. I it when that happens. Me too. I think
5: I know what if you build it, he will come means.
1: Ooh, why do I
4: not think this is such a good thing?
1: Daddy, there's a man up there on your lawn.
2: Are you a ghost? What do you think? You look real to me. You build a baseball field in the middle of nowhere, and you sit here and you stare at nothing. This field, this game,
4: it's a part of our past, Ray. Reminds us of all that once was good.
5: Hey, is this heaven? No, it's Iowa.
2: Kevin Costner, Amy Madigan, James Earl Jones, Ray Liotta, Burt Lancaster. Sometimes, when you believe the impossible, the incredible comes true. Field of Dreams.
1: An American fantasy, which was a box office smash at the time of its release. One of just a handful of films directed by Phil Alden Robinson. Kevin Costner stars as Iowa farmer, Ray Kinsella, who lives a normal rural life with his wife and child. That is until the day he is walking through his cornfield and hears a voice saying, if you build it, he will come. Shortly after things start to get very strange indeed. This was your selection, Graham, and I believe a film you'd not seen before. No. Why did you select it?
2: Well, it's a classic. I hadn't seen it before, and it came out in April. And I realised why I hadn't seen it, because our first daughter was born... In the February. So I was in sleep deprived w- walking zombie stage by April. So I probably never <laughs> saw it at the cinema. So I thought I really must. And I keep saying that I really must go and see this film or I must try and see this film. Oh, man, it was brilliant. It was absolutely fabulous. I, mean, I know a lot of people had said, oh, it's a great film, great film but wow it should have been made in the 1940s starring Jimmy Stewart and directed by Frank Capra mm. but you know it's it's wonderful it's it's a really great fantasy story it's a a fairy tale really it's a, a meditation on regrets and that's so many callbacks to Shakespeare and things like that. You know, when the first person we see on the field is like Hamlet's father's ghost turns out to be shoeless Joe. And the other thing I liked about this film was that I learned so much about baseball and baseball history. (laughs) It was untrue. And I had to go and read loads of stuff. I went, really? They threw the whole game for a bunch of, for a betting syndicate and all of that. You read it. It's incredible story. But, I loved it. You know, it it was great, and it was nice to see James Earl Jones. Uh, he was fabulous in it as uh, Darth Vader. No, Terence Mann. <laughs> he was great. I, I also thought Amy Madigan as, as Annie was great, and I loved the bit where she stood up to the book burning uh, Christian uh, right wing nutcase. I thought that was wonderful. Yeah, it's just really, really good. I was in floods of tears at the end, and I just thought it was great it was really really good
0: okay Darren
4: yeah I mean this is actually the first time I've actually sat and watched the the film the whole way through a film I've just like seen bits of before and and I thought it was great I I don't know if it's just because of the time that we're in at the moment that a, a film like this seemed really appealing but it was just nice to have a film that was sort of Unashamedly sentimental, but also and and just concentrated on being uplifting. It it didn't go into the the hows or or how all this was happening. It just sort of, you know, went with it. And and one of the things I actually really liked about it is it it was sort of harkening back for like just. A simpler, nicer, more uplifting time. You know the fact that he was uh, battling with his um, his brother-in-law, who was sort of like you know wanted to sell this to developers and everything, and he was just sort and he just wanted to just sort of like you know have this field and just you know content to have these you know watch these that like, baseball players all, all day. I, I just thought it was wonderful, but there's something there is something, and if you ever. Been to, America, been to a baseball game there is something like really wholesome about baseball i just thought this was absolutely go, wonderful. Go, sorry
0: Darren, just gotta just got say mate i watched the yankees play once and when i left i still didn't have a clue what was going on
4: <laughs> i i went to a live game in san francisco and afterwards i, I didn't have a clue what was going on either but I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it because it's, it's, it, was, it just has like a nice family atmosphere at these games. I thought it was just, you know, wonderful. The, the, this, the, the thing at the end where basically there's, there's all these queues of people just coming to to watch this, but obviously other people just want a different sort of life than, than what we were getting at that time. And let's face it, since that film was made, things have got sort of even more sort of, you know, worse capitalism-wise and everything. I think it's... The sort of film we might get a bit more of in the next few years because I think people might be wanting something uplifting to go to see some escapism you know some romanticism, so I think we might get a few more films like this going forward
0: it 's interesting you say that because the two new films we 've reviewed neither could be described as uplifting, could they <laughs>
4: <laughs> no but i I just think that when um, when i've been doing my, my retrospectives uh, thing, I noticed that after um nine eleven a few years after that comedy seem to be like the really, really big thing. So I think, you know, you give it a few years for the films to be made, and I think you'll find a different direction Mm. goes than what you're expecting. So I won't be surprised if we got some films like this. And let's face it, it's probably a cheap film to make as well.
1: Thank you
0: for that. Neil?
1: Yeah, I had seen it before, more than once. Um, it's, yeah, the tears came early even then, and they just kept going. It's sentimentality, but without resorting to cheap cliches. Baseball's a religion over in uh, the US, and this is a cathedral to it to allow those who've missed the big time to get their chance to star. Movies don't always take a chance on flights of the imagination. I, I think we're poorer for it cast was excellent and extensive but lancaster i think was one of the highlights yeah. for me as excellent yeah, as moonlight yeah. and I, and I, yeah and ray Liotta as shoeless joe i thought it was a good uh, a good mention i thought he played it so blandly yeah um as a as a young kid who just sort of doesn't really know why things happened it's brilliant I, I, excellent excellent film
3: okay phil Yeah, I mean, there's not much more I can say. Um, I've loved this film since I was a teenager, and I watched it again with my kids. And you know, it was really nice to be able to watch uh, an adult film with adult subject, like sort of subject matter. And it's a film that I can watch with my nine-year-old and five-year-old, and not worry. And and they actually really enjoyed it themselves. they sort of faded in and out for the first 20 minutes. But as soon as he started to uh, make a baseball diamond on his field, they were they were wrapped and kept up talking to me about what was he doing and why. I think it's idealistic. I think it's magical. I think it's heartwarming. I did blub blub like all the way through it. Um, I don't recall <laughs> blubbing all the way through it when I was a teenager and I watched it. Um, so, you know, that was good fun having to explain to my kids why I was crying
0: um you have a special (laughs) thing with films about sons and fathers don't you i
3: do and actually i was going to mention that so obviously you all know how much i loved ad astra i seem to have a thing i've got a nine-year-old son so maybe i don't know that that's something to do that i remember when i watched my son was born the year that christian bells the fighter came out and i think that was one of the first films i watched at the cinema in my sleep deprived i've got like a couple month year old son and there's a scene in that film where he comes out of prison and his little boy runs to him and he picks him up and sort of gives him a big hug oh my lord if if i thought i was crying during field of dreams when when i was at the cinema watching that having a one month two month year old son that that killed me and ever since then films that have got that sort of theme have always um, sort of struck a chord with me. But for this, I'm, I'm surprised. I don't know if you've mentioned it yet, Jeff, but the score I think is amazing. Yeah, James Horner's right. score. Yeah, um yeah. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Costner just fits this perfectly. So you mentioned mm-hmm. Jimmy Stewart, but who else can you think of other than sort of Jimmy Stewart, Tom Hanks, and Kevin Costner that could give such an idealistic performance? Yeah. And his narration mm-hmm. at the very opening of the film just like sort of your heart swells straight away because you know that it's wholesome and it's going to be good. And, you know, it's, it is just a great film. And, I went to watch the Yankees last year, which was a dream come true because I've I've always loved baseball films, and I got to watch the Yankees last year, and it was an amazing experience. And I I did actually know what was going on because, right, yeah, um, right. But uh, Graham mentioned it. Um, Seek out a film called Eight Men Out, which stars John Cusack, and John Sales' film. Yeah, and it tells yeah. the story of the Black Sox and about this throwing of the game that is obviously. Oh, thanks, him. Phil. Um, oh, brilliant! It's a really good film.
0: Yeah, yeah, great film. <laughs> I am just going in years. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, well, I'm glad you understood it. I sat in Yankee Stadium, and it all went over my head.
3: Uh, we, we can set some time aside, and I'll explain the rules to you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh,
1: it's not that difficult, really.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then you can follow it with the rules of cricket because that also goes right. Off my head. <laughs> I'll do that. Right? As well. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, let's
1: not right. bother.
4: Yeah, if you want to get confused watching a baseball film, watch Moneyball. I've I've never sat in a film that I absolutely loved and had no idea what was going on half the
2: time. Two good films i have come out of this. Thank you, guys. <laughs> yeah,
0: there's not much I can add. It is one of my favourite films. Two things I just want to want to say. Really, I mean you said everything about the casting and everybody is perfect. Everybody's note perfect on it. Yeah. But but two things. One, it's a fantasy film where they don't explain the fantasy. If you don't go with it, you've you've lost. Yeah. But everybody go I've never yet found anybody who didn't go with it. We got this cornfield, you turn it into a baseball and ghosts will walk out. You know? And it sounds ridiculous. But watching it, it works perfectly. So I think that's great. And the other thing is that subplot about the 60s generation, almost as an excuse as to why didn't the 60s generation amount to anything? Why did they become like their fathers? And we had the same problems there that we did in the 60s, obviously without Vietnam. But this, there was this excuse running through the film for the fact that we can recapture this. We can recapture you know, our youth, find a way to bridge generational problems which I thought was tremendous it's almost perfect to be quite honest I, I think yeah. it is an absolutely wonderful film and the great irony is that that farm where they filmed it is now a real tourist destination <laughs> 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 Love that. so yeah. yeah absolutely nothing nothing bad for me it is wonderful After that classic, let's go over to Phil for American Psycho, first released in April 2000. You like Huey Lewis on the news?
1: Their early work was a little too new wave for my taste. But when sports came out in 83, I think they really came into their own, commercially and artistically. He's been compared to Elvis Costello, but I think Huey has a far more bitter, cynical sense of humour. In '87. Huey released this, 4, the most accomplished album. I think their undisputed masterpiece is Hip To Be Swear, a song so catchy. Most people probably don't listen to the lyrics, but they should, because it's not
0: just about the pleasures of conformity and the importance of trends. It's also a personal statement about the band itself. Hey, Paul! Ah! Take the Christian Bale is astonishing as 1980s serial killer Patrick Bateman from director Mary Harron. Harron tones down a lot of the excesses of Brett Easton Ellis' novel and plays up the satire rather than the gore. So, Phil, is this a role model for you and the reason for your selection?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Definitely not. Um, So I I picked this film because I worked in the cinema when this came out It was the first year that me and my colleagues sort of counted our films and we had a competition of who could watch the most films. So I didn't look at release schedules. I looked at my film diary of what films I saw in April 2000 and picked this one out. I have to say 2000, 99, and 2000 were really good years for films. I also at this time was reading all of Brett Easton Ellis' novels. So for whatever reason, I got into Brett Easton Ellis, read all of his books and uh, was really looking forward to this. And I love this film. I think it's brilliant. I watched it again with my wife for this show. And uh, at the end of the film, my wife turned around to me and said, that's the third time I've seen it. And I still don't know what's going on. (laughs) 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 And and, uh, that's what I like about it. I mean, it's another film that for me, it uses the violence to base and the 80s sort of power, sort of play type thing to talk about kind of, it's like the toxic male personality, and it's about wanting to fit in. There's a scene really early on where Christian Bell, Patrick Bateman, is talking to his fiancée, and he says that he just wants to fit in. He doesn't seem to to know where he fits into this world. And the whole thing is about what's real, what's in his head, and how dangerous is he? but not necessarily how dangerous is he from a violence point of view, but how dangerous is he because of the way that men see themselves and how they sort of behave around each other and how they challenge themselves. And it's really, really, really funny. It's just a brilliant film. I think everyone could watch it and take it a different way. The fact that it's written and directed by women, I think helps it immensely. So, um, Mary Harron is writer-director and the Turner is uh, writer. And I think the fact that when Brett Easton Ellis wrote it and they uh, wrote the script, I suspect that there's slightly different perspectives going on there. And I think that what they bring to it makes it what it is.
0: Well, in- interesting you say that, because I- I've listened to Turner's audio commentary and there's only one scene that Ellis didn't like. You, have you heard about
3: this? No, I've not, no.
0: All right. Well, you know when he kills Jared Leto mm. and he does the little moonwalk? Yeah. He hates that. All right. <laughs> and that's it. That's the only thing he doesn't like. Well, the rest of it, he yeah. great. And
3: great. And some of the scenes in the film are virtually identical to the scenes in the book. And what I love the most about it, and it might be a little on the nose, but it ends exactly as the book ends, which is patrick bateman glares at a door and the door has a, a sign on it and i'm not going to say what the sign says because i think that's a bit too much of a spoiler i think it does sum up the film and the sort of male ego and angst and that patrick bateman demonstrates throughout
0: so my question to you then is how much of it is real
3: uh yeah okay well spoiler i guess alert. Yeah, spoiler
0: alert, but yeah we are talking about a 20-year-old
3: so, film. Yeah, up, so. So, so for me, Patrick Bateman is mentally suffering and unravelling and needs help, but he doesn't commit any of those murders. He doesn't commit any of the atrocities that are all in his head. And I think that that is fairly well spelled out in the film and in the book but I think it is open to interpretation. But ultimately, I think he thinks all of those things, but that's about his feeling lost, feeling not like he fits in, and it's kind of his cry for help, and how will he fight out of that sort of feeling of NY that he has. Okay.
2: Okay. Well, I think one of the murders is real. Which one? I think the murder of the homeless person on the street is horrible and grubby and grimy. And I think that's real because everything else is like really flashy and glorious and it's all in his head and it feels good to him. That's the only one which is not Mm -hmm. sort of in an apartment, in a a sort of a, a sterile environment. And I think that's the real one where he is just completely lost. I mean, I... I had to watch it twice because uh, I'm with your wife, Phil, on this one. I, you know, I watched it the first time and I thought, what the hell was that? I liked it, but I couldn't put it all together. I had to watch it a, a second time. And I think I agree. Patrick Bateman is actually at the point where we see him. He's no longer a human being. He has distanced himself from humanity. He's, it's a study in sort of narcissism and greed and materialism. And none of those make good humans. In the 80s. I mean, the 80s, yeah, probably. Yeah, and I loved, you know, I thought, oh, I've got this guy now. And then something would happen. I think, oh, no, I've lost the plot again. It's just so well constructed. I like the fact that he didn't kill his secretary. You know, that was the one moment when he spared somebody. So there was obviously something there.
0: Yeah, but, uh, you can't get a good secretary in New York.
2: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And we're back to the materialism <laughs> again. Yeah. Everybody everybody in the film was so shallow. Uh, and They're obsessed with going to dinner and the font on their business cards. That drove me mad. The business
3: card scene they- is one of the greatest scenes ever put on yeah. film, I have to I've, say.
1: I've, I've got to agree with that, yeah. If- it was like they would getting their dicks out and comparing them, wasn't it? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Well, anything i think, More than in
0: a meeting with you, Neil, when they talk about getting business cards out.
1: Um, <laughs> no, I'm not getting a business
3: card for that reason. No, you need to uh, return to videos. Yeah.
0: yeah, and I'd forgotten the, the significance of that line as well. I thought that, that was really good. Okay, so this is the most, this is what I've been waiting for, Neil.
1: Well, I, I mean, they're, they're faceless men, aren't they? He's always mistaken for somebody else, and their lives are empty. I liked what Mary Heron did. It should transform me a novel about bloodlust, I, I think, as I understand it, into a movie about men's vanity. Um, she sees him as a typical male Prail to the usual men's drives of compulsions, he just acts them out more. It's like Glengarry glen Ross, really, isn't it? It's a dog eat dog world and men just act like chainsaw killers. And for that reason, I don't think he killed anybody. He's a materialistic, narcissistic, misogynist driven by ego and fueled by greed. I like him already. And and, and, and <laughs> yeah, and he's just completely empty. And Christian Bale is superb. Oh yeah
2: you got to mention I that. I don't it's imagine a great
1: anybody being that character. He just, oh, fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. I mean, it, yeah, and a bewildering examination of its schizophrenic Wall Street financier.
3: Yeah, when you say that, actually, one thing popped into my head because I'm weird, I guess, but in about 10 years' time, a bit earlier than that maybe, I'll be able to show my son this film what i'll probably do is i'll try and i'll put something like batman begins on and then put this
2: on <laughs> <laughs> you'll and have, to exp-
3: <laughs> you have to explain the 80s to him i think <laughs> yeah, uh, wall street
1: in the 80s or or, or the uh the the Lon- the city of london in the 80s i'll just
3: show America. wall street
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh yeah that, that, yeah that'll
3: do it
0: that'll do it darren
4: yeah, I mean, I only saw this for the first time a few months back because I tried reading the book many years ago and I, I couldn't get home with it. But I, I thought this—I think this film's great. And you mentioned the, the, the card scene where they're also to like you know comparing their business cards. I think that's, that's that's so great. As somebody who grew up in the eighties, any film that gives uh, yuppies a, a bit of a kicking is all right with me, and I loved it. The, the whole thing about whether or not, <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing, whether or not he did it or not. I'm probably a bit strange to say this, but I kind of hope that he actually did some of the killings because I love the idea of some of the satire in there. For a start, the fact that he gets away with um, disposing of all these bodies in the middle of a city shows how like self-obsessed the uh, that era was, and the fact that you know he could get the yeah. security guards and everything. But also the scene where it's implied where he goes back to the uh, the apartment and everything's gone. And it's implied that the people there have actually covered up all the bodies and got rid of them, just so that they can sell the the, uh, the apartment. Tom,
0: I, I just I just that, love the that idea. That is spot on, Darren. That...
4: Yeah, I I just love that idea that that sort of house, sort of like solace that society was at the time that they would do something like that. And I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I love the fact that there's clothes as to his neuroses all the way through the film. Like, for example, when he shoots the police car and it blows up and he actually looks at the guns, after to say, what, what the hell? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and things like that. And But <laughs> for every clue, there's also, there's also things against it. So, for example, the fact at the end when he's um, he's basically told he's not who he thinks he is and everything. But throughout the film, everyone's getting each other mixed up because people are so self-obsessed. And because everyone's basically mm. like, like the same as each other, you know, they're all suit wearing people. You never really know what these people do for a living. It's just they just seem to have like sort of jobs created by society. I, I just think the film's so clever on so many levels. And but I actually love the you know the whole sort of concept of whether it's true or not and everything. And even if it's not, I, I just love the whole satire about, about that era. I think it's a wonderful film. And absolutely terrifying as well.
3: What I've always found interesting after the event is It almost, I don't know if you've sort of read or seen stuff. Whenever I hear about Brett Easton Ellis now, he seems almost like, so to me, when I read all those books, I thought they were hilarious satire. It was really sort of cutting edge and stuff. And now I read about sort of things he says and I'm like, were they? Is he like that? I'm not sure. And yeah, and that's one of the things I find kind of odd about it is was he properly going for that? Was is that what he was doing? Because actually now I read about him and he does sound a bit like an alpha male in terms of his opinions and stuff.
0: Certainly when this first came out, the, the book publishers pulled on him. They wouldn't release it because the book... And I, I must be honest, I, I'm with Darren. I couldn't get through the book. I found it foul. And so I put the film off for a long while before seeing it. And I, and I was glad I watched it because I thought Harren's tone... Is excellent. It's a little bit too clever for its own good because uh, I'm interested having this discussion about what do you think is real and what's not real? Because both Ellis and Turner have said that some of it is real, some of it isn't. You have to make your own mind up as as to what. And Mary Harron herself has said, ultimately, we did fail because a lot of people walk away from this film thinking it's all in his head and it's not. Certainly the tramp in the beginning he killed. I think he also killed the prostitute. I don't think, I think he killed anybody that he considered of a lower class. Anybody that was his class, he didn't touch. But it felt to me as well, and I, as a compliment, as a Cronenberg film, you know, it had mm. that coldness of something like Crash. Even some of Cronenberg's earlier films like uh, Shivers or Rabid and Kale's Music score very often reminded me of Howard Shaw so I, I think all of that was was really good. i say I just love the tone of it. It's very funny. The shallowness of the way that they talk about the music. And all those <laughs> all those people like Phil Collins and Huey Lewis were in with it and they let him use the music. Only Whitney Houston <laughs> only Whitney Houston refused to let him use her her <laughs> singing. But yeah, it's great. And Bale, what a performance. What a
3: performance has he been better than that because i mean it was it is phenomenal like the scenes where he's looking at himself in the mirror and flexing and the scenes where you can actually see him mentally unraveling like the scene darren mentions where he goes back to the apartment you can just see him completely coming apart with the is am i the right place what's happened you know all those sorts of things
0: and again as darren was saying i mean the tone that woman took it's not like I'm not scared of you. You have just created a mess here that we've had to sort out. Now get out of here. We don't want to see you again. And I thought that was that was really intriguing.
2: Yeah, I like that bit as well because that was just so much about greed. Yeah, there's all these dead bodies in this apartment. Don't worry, we got rid of them because we're going to make a fortune on selling this this apartment. And they keep talking about how much each apartment costs and where it is in the city. Yeah. Yeah. Just great.
0: I just want to pick up on Phil's point there about better performances. I'd be hard-pressed, but I think performances that come up to it, I thought the fighter he was good in, really good in, the machinist. And also, um, well, Ford versus Ferrari. I thought that performance had such a range and such depth within it. You know, a guy that had still had an impact from World War Two, even though it was 20 years on, you could tell there were still problems that he had. He was driven. You saw him. How he acted with people and how he acted in his family. And and I thought all of that was that that was really good. I mean he is one of the best actors around today, I think.
3: Not just because he's Welsh.
0: No, 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 no. <laughs> but that does help. Um, <laughs> okay, great choice.
2: It's Neil's choice as we go all the way back to April 1975 for Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Old
0: woman, man, ma'am, sorry. What knight lives in that castle over there? I'm 37. What? I'm 37, I'm not old. Well, I can't just call you man. You could say Dennis. I didn't know you were called Dennis. Well, you didn't bother to find out, did you? I did say sorry about the old woman, but from behind, you looked... What well, I then... object to is you automatically treat me like an inferior. Well, I am king. Oh,
1: king, eh? Very nice.
0: And how do you get that, eh? By exploiting the workers. By hanging on to outdated imperialist dogma which perpetuates the economic and social differences in our society. If there's ever going to be any progress... Dennis, we've there's got... some lovely filth down here. Oh, how do you do? How do you do, good lady? I am Arthur, King of the Britons. Whose castle is that? King of the who? The Britons. Who are the Britons? Well, we all are. We are all Britons. And I am your king.
2: The second Python film, after and now for something completely different, it is a series of sketches loosely based around the story of King Arthur and his knights, Jeff and I were recently on BBC Radio Gloucestershire talking about this and we had very different opinions, as you shall shortly find out. Firstly, over to you, Neil. Do you need to be a fan of the Monty Python team for this to work?
1: I suspect you do. I know that a couple of the team are going to be... um... Slating it, I believe. <laughs> so I'm going to say yes because uh, you and I, I believe, liked oh, it. Did struggle with two directors, I admit. Um, it was res- was resolved, of course, when Terry Jones did uh, Life of Brian without Terry Gilliam. Zero budget is um, something to note. Hence the use of coconuts. They did want horses, uh, but uh, <laughs> I thought Neil Innes's music is, was was excellent. There are so many jokes. Watching it again, I've accidentally used. Some of those lines over and over and again through my, my normal conversation did you find one that um, was funny just, okay oh, i oh, did oh, find oh. loads that were funny very 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 silly of course i mean bring out your dead how did how do you know she's a witch strange women lying in ponds distributing is no basis for a system of government I, that's my favorite scene <laughs> People still visit the castles they used and they can get coconuts there (laughs) and to act out scenes. People, And there are people from across the world coming over. It matters little that it's a, a series of interconnected sketches, effectively, based around a sort of vague grail chase it's entered cross-border consciousness it's marvelous for his insanity but as a Monty Python fan would I have it any other way and I, I I don't think anybody would and before Jeff especially lays into this it is 97% rating on Rotten Tomatoes and is 93% score on Metacritic and it's
0: do you know why that 100... is 100 don't you because lockdown it, makes people insane
1: it's 124th in the top rated films by IMDb. This is a seriously funny film. If you're a Monty Python fan, it is a must have. Of course, Life of Brian is the better film. But this is this is a classic. Go on, next. Phil, who's first? Phil. I'll take you all along, coppers and all. Um <laughs>
3: well i i didn't like it i mean so i've seen it before and i do think life of brian is genius i think it's hilarious but when i saw this when i was younger i didn't like it then i tried again i didn't like it now i think the problem for me is calling it a film it's just not i've written down in my notes here are they making clever ways to sidestep the lack of budget or is it just a complete lack of cohesion to actually having a story because an is a lack of budget yeah, but m- my problem is is if you presented this to me and said here's a series of monty python sketches i'd have a very different outlook on it to here's a film about king arthur because the life of brian is a film it's really really funny mm. but it is also a film It does have some funny stuff in it. I'm not I'm not gonna be as horrible as Jeff probably will be because, you know, there's there's some really funny things in there. So it's just the flesh wound, the French insults, the knights who say knee, and and the rabbit, which frankly the rabbit's the best bit. (laughs) But we're talking about four scenes that are less than a minute and a half each in a well, 90 I, I, minute I film.
1: I disagree. I'd add on a whole load of other stuff. But yes, I agree. Yes, it is uneven and it is a, a series of interconnected sketches, vaguely interconnected so, sketches. So I think
3: my main problem with it is it's 90 minutes long and after 30 minutes I was thinking mm, when when did the say Nee come on? Um
1: <laughs> you know,
3: that's that was my problem with it. So I I wouldn't watch it again as a film, but if you like sent me little clips and go, oh, there's that clip, I'd watch that again. You know, in isolation, I think they're funny, but don't make me watch 90 minutes of it again. Please let me, if I'm going to watch Monty Python, I'll watch life of Brian. (laughs) Darren, I enjoyed, I
1: enjoyed picking this one. Yeah. I bet you did. You bastard. Um, Well, I,
4: I grew up on Monty Python, so I, You know, this was right up my street. Although I think Life of Brian is a better film and and a funnier film, I think this is more true to the Monty Python spirit. It's got the surrealism, just the the total things that don't really make any sense and aren't meant to, but just weird stuff that happens. Um, I think it's got some of the, the funniest scenes that they've ever done some of the most quotable lines that, that there is and you know it's the whole thing with the, the black knight and, and john Cleese running rampant through a, a, a castle just slaughtering everybody Sir so Lancelot, there's just so many <laughs> bits in there that i absolutely love i do think it's a very un, uneven in the quality because some of the sketches, some of the bits aren't basically don't really appeal to me the, the knights who say neat i've never really liked the you uh, three-headed knight i i, I don't I, th- I think as it gets some weight and weight it starts to slow down somewhat until we all get back together again but then again that's kind of what monty python is but they, you know you would watch episodes of flying circus and we'd have these great scenes but then we'd also have some which basically just went nowhere you know so and it was a very mixed bag but I personally really, really love this one. I, I mean, the the Black Knight scene, for God's sake, that's brilliant. You know, when when and it's and it's and it's paced so well, where so like, he sort of like starts off as this sort of like you know Knight, you vow shall not pass. I mean, it just gets sillier and sillier. And you know, when he said, when when Graham Chapman turns around to me and says, "Look, you stupid bastards, you've got no arms left," it's just it's just a great. That's one of the greatest comedy scenes in films yeah, ever. Yeah, okay, you, you know, and. Michael Palin, sort of like, you know, communist peasant sort of thing. Just little things like that. And the whole <laughs> debate about at the start about the swallows bringing over the coconuts and, and stuff like that. And I'm saying this, some of you are laughing, so it obviously works. I, I, th- I think it's a, a, a great film. I think it's very uneven with, with some of the sketches. The, the very hit, When it hits, it hits great. But there are some that basically, um, I, when I watch, I kind of fast forward a bit. But, you know, I I think this is one one of the great British comedies.
3: But like a brand. But better. that's like, so I'm going to in, jump in there, that what you just said there, I agree with, but also feel like it backs up my point because you're saying it has got some really, really funny stuff in it. Completely agree. It's just the flesh wound, hilarious, the rabbit, et cetera, et cetera. But if you want to fast forward three bits, it's not a film, is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's my point is yeah. it. It's a sketch
4: show. I don't agree, that it's a sketch show because it does have a sort of like a narrative. But that is that is the Monty Python style, you know. But the, the uh, if you were you know ever watched the, the you know the Flying Circus, it sometimes it would have a bit of a storyline into it, uh, you know, mixed in with all these sketches. But you know, to to me, it is a, a Monty Python film, and and I, I love. I, I do miss that sort of like really anarchistic, um, you know, seventies style of comedy. You know that you've, you know, so you know. For some people, it's not going to work, and some it will. It's
0: but life of Brian had a really strong story, and everything hung off that perfectly. You know, had a clear beginning, middle, uh, beginning, middle, and end in that order, which is unusual for them, and it works brilliantly. But
1: but that was because of the um the the arguments during this film uh, because they had two directors because they couldn't decide whether to use ter- which terry to use so they used both of them and it the arguments in this film when they were making it were it was fantastic i'm sure there's a making of film where they t- where there is it's on the um dvd where they talk about how they argued all the time and yeah. michael palin basically in the middle trying to keep them apart it's a it's a, a film based from a a whole load of really really angry angry exchanges I'm Angry?
0: i was bloody livid but for <laughs> um So, Graham, I already know what you're going to say, and I know it's wrong, but I'll let you say it anyway.
2: It's a masterpiece. It's an absolute Uh, masterpiece. (laughs) Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I'm with Darren on this. Yeah, it's that sort of weird juxtaposition that's part of the Python standard approach to things. I mean, we were laughing the other day about, you know, nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition, but that comes from that piece is in the middle of another sketch about trouble at mill, you know, which is setting <laughs> up. <at North laughs> in sudden-
0: so Darren's on the call. Just calm that down.
2: <laughs>
0: but Sorry, you, Darren.
2: But it, I'm agreeing with Darren's point is you, you get what a sketch that you think is going one way and then something else comes in. And so as a piece of work, as a, an artistic piece of work, I have to disagree with you. Philip. I think it's perfect because it's not perfect, which is Python. You know, it's just all over the place, and it's sketches, and it's not it's not linked together properly, and it's it's completely anarchic. Some of it is very, very funny, and other bits of it aren't. So I think it is a film from an artistic point of view because of the, all the problems that you've pointed out, which are part of what Python liked to do. And the end making no sense at all and just dribbling out is also really, really good because I think it works from that perspective as well. So I must have seen it over a dozen times. And yes, I agree that Life of Brian is a far better film as I'm sat here in my, um, my T-shirt from that film. But yeah, it's... um <laughs>
0: more than just that T-shirt, right?
2: <laughs> no 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 i'm I'm sat here stark naked from the waist down of course jeff that's he what you have in the
1: organ,
2: like in yeah Pike. exactly <laughs> he beat me to it um but yes
1: he's a very naughty boy
2: yes. i just think it's it's great and it's 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 like comfort food i will go back to this film mm-hmm. and just watch it again just to cheer myself up okay yeah usually when i've had a a discussion with jeff strangely <laughs>
0: If, <laughs> if comfort food was dog shit, you'd be right. You'd,
3: um, you'd be watching it again after this, I'm pretty certain. Right? Oh, oh, oh,
0: oh, I tell you what. I'll give you the Black Knight. Darren, I will give you the Black Knight. The Black Knight is funny, and that's it. There's nothing. I mean, I don't understand Monty Python anyway, other than the life of Brian. The series is awful. Why that oh, is speaking. They speak about that so reverentially, yet a far better show um it ain't off hot Mum. nobody ever mentions these dates
3: <laughs> oh, i don't yeah. want to be on this side no soul. I'm, I'm moderate I, I'm, I'm moderate in my dislike for this film i just want to put that out there
1: <laughs> <laughs> thanks phil yeah you're, you're
3: lessening your criticism I mean, I like now. The film, but i don't want to be on the same side as this <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, <Yeah, Jeff's laughs> fundamentalism.
3: Yeah, <laughs> and, and
0: the film's racist. It picks on the French horribly. I, no, it doesn't. Of course it does.
4: No. What about oh, it? It, it shows them back. as sneaky and.
0: <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> Jesus oh. I can't
0: have noticed racism in that, Darren. Oh, Is yeah. there any? No, we... it, Spielberg hated it so much he made his own version a few years later. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a bloody awful. Okay, day. no, I hated it. I don't really need to say anymore because you know, even Good. even Phil, who started on my side, has sort of stepped back from me, so,
3: left yeah. me standing there on my own. Don't get me wrong, Jeff. I don't like the film, but you mentioned ain't half hot Mum. <laughs>
2: You've immediately become the nutter on the bus, and people are just moving away from you, Jeff. No,
0: no, that's social distancing, Graham. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, over to you, Neil.
1: Finally, and I do mean finally, it's Jeff's Choice. Brannigan, also released in April 1975. What a good month.
2: John Wayne
0: is Brannigan. Knock, knock. A tough Chicago detective who's pounding a brand new beat. Police, son, follow that car. The Duke's in London. And London will never be the same. John Wayne. Is Brannigan. He likes to hurt people. They made some real improvements since I was last year. Thank you. He covers the city from Scotland Yard. The home secretary blowing his top, demanding to know what kind of a lunatic I've turned loose. No! The to Tower Bridge. Well, the view from the bridge was terrific. This isn't Chicago, you know, Brannigan. That's right, Commander. You can't buy a decent hamburger any place. I wouldn't. Unless you want to sing soprano. The Duke's in London. God save the Queen. John
5: Wayne
1: is Brannigan. One of John Wayne's last films, he plays Chicago detective Brannigan because if he had a first name, he wouldn't be tough enough, sent to London to bring back crime boss Ben Larkin, played by John Vernon. However, before he can do that, Larkin is kidnapped and Brannigan is determined to turn London upside down to get his man. Go on, Jeff. Why did you select this film? I
0: think it's a a great fun movie, you know, to watch one of the great class personalities of cinema on screen just having fun. It's a sort of sideways view of 70s London, and it's clearly John Wayne wanting to be Clint Eastwood there's elements of Dirty Harry and particularly Coogan's Bluff within the film it's funny there's a great cast of British actors like James Booth you've got John Stride you've got Brian Glover in a very early performance you've got Leslie Undown and of course Richard Attenborough clearly having fun there's a, a pub fight sequence, like something out of a Wild West. And, yeah, <laughs> they they arrest the city guy at the end of it. I was only here for the beer. I know where Phil is going to come from on this, and I do accept that it's wrong. There's an odd sex element that just doesn't feel right. Creepy. Yeah, it is a little bit creepy. <laughs> oh, um, God. But what I would say is the car chase is superb. It's very well filmed. A lot of fun in it. Okay, there's a lot of silliness. You've got a hitman that's on your tail. Well, really, that hitman needs to get his bloody car fixed so you don't know he's coming. <laughs> I think Dominic Frontier's music scores first rate. Is it anything out of the ordinary? Well, no, not really. It's a great comfort movie, and it makes more sense than Monty Python and the Holy Grail, which was released the same month. Okay, Darren, I'll hand over to you.
4: This film has a great opening scene. And I thought this is going to be a really fun film of John Wayne being dirty, having everything. And then for the first hour, it just drags. I mean, the the, the director's there's no sense. It. It's constantly either with John Wayne driving somewhere, chatting, or there's a scene where there's a uh, there's a guy going into a spa, and you follow this guy around the spa and watch him get a massage, and thinking, for God's sake, get get on with this, and. It's just such a slow <laughs> film. There are some good moments. I mean, but it's weird that the good moments seem like they're in a totally different film. So the, um, the car scene chase scene is is really good. I mean, I really enjoy that. But they added this like sort of like comedy element where there's a sort of frightened passengers uh, next to him, and then you've got a, a, the scene I in the pub.
0: Hilarious.
4: The scene in the pub. But the, those bit and the scene in the pub. Like, you mentioned the guy who gets arrested and he's a. He's, you know, he's a totally innocent guy. Those bits felt like doing a Robin Asquith movie. You know, it it just it just felt, it just went into this completely <laughs> yeah. sidestep, this completely different sort of movie. I mean, I, I, I will say it's a nice curiosity. It's, uh, you know, sort of John Wayne punching um, Richard Attenborough and going to London and being a cop and, and everything. But it, it's a very oddly paced To me, the best bits in it are him being hunted by the hitman, which is almost a subplot. And to be honest, a lot of the storyline doesn't really make any sense where we're trying to get this criminal back who's being kidnapped. It's just a weirdly paced movie. It's a nice curiosity. It's... You know, and it, it's it, you know, and especially because it's John Wayne out of his element and doing sort something different. So, so I was I glad I watched it, and I did enjoy bits of it, but it, it's it's a very oddly paced movie.
2: Okay, Graham, it is definitely strange and odd. It's a John Wayne vehicle, isn't it? He wanted to be Dirty Harry, or, and it came out at around the time of The French Connection and Bullet and Magnum Force and things like that. Yeah, I found it uh, very up and down. Uh, I, I was creeped out by his relationship with uh, <laughs> yeah Judy Greason as as the sidekick. I thought that was just very very uncomfortable. It, the, every, as everybody said, I thought the chase scene was great. I thought he was good in it. You know, I thought John Wayne was doing his best, but the uh, the, the fight in, in Leadenhall Market that pub was just like, oh, for God's sake. And that's a grubby pub. I used to work around the corner from there uh, when I was working <laughs> in London, and it is a scruffy pub, and they made it look a lot more attractive than it was in real life. There were things I liked about it. I thought uh, the first 10 minutes was very good. You immediately know what's going on. It clearly defines, oh, here's all the plot points. Here's what we're doing. We're trying to get this guy back. Nice little switch when the actual villain gets captured by another couple of villains and i thought the thing with the postbox was very clever the way they did that yeah but um yeah, it just was a bit all over the place it was nice to go back and see london from the the sort of mid 70s and things like that but david attenborough david attenborough, david attenborough. Uh, richard richard attenborough his bro richard attenborough goes from pl- posh bloke at his club to Detective Inspector Jack Regan from uh, The Sweeney, you know, and it was just like, really? Has he suddenly become, yeah, tough guy? Good, interesting story. It was just, oh, I was, uh, you know, it's a five out of ten movie. You know, it, it was half interesting. I mean, if it hadn't have been John Wayne in the lead, I'd have thought it would have been the total crap film. I wouldn't have watched it. Phil? So I think...
3: Graham and Darren have said the best bit of the film is the opening 10 minutes, and I completely agree because when I watched it, I thought there's some cheesy music, a bit of mal bravado, credit sequence with close-ups of a gun. I thought, you know, this is a, a tough cop who doesn't play by the rules, and I thought we were going to have a bit of fun. And then I was bored to death for the next hour and 45 minutes or whatever it was. <laughs> and also, <laughs> Darren's mentioned this, was John Wayne aware of the incredibly homoerotic male massage that was going to happen during the film? Because that doesn't strike me as a John Wayne sort of hold film. On, hold on, Phil. he wasn't massaged. No, he wasn't. But I'm pretty right. certain that, like, you know, that's not the sort of thing that he would have been happy with being in one of his films. It's a bit weird. Ah,
4: but, but it's a bad yeah, guy. You, you
3: mentioned
4: he's a bad guy in a homoerotic scene. So, so that he would have right. liked. <laughs>
3: Uh, fair enough um but to be honest it's been alluded to but the bit that i just i almost just tuned out i actually paused the film and went onto imdb and looked it up but he is 41 years older than his love interest weird relationship thing It was weird. I could not get my head around it. She keeps talking about her father who was in the war, who would have been younger than John Wayne. It's weird. Just every time they were on on scenes together, it creeped me out so much. Um, Obviously, anyone who has found love with that age difference – yeah, fine. I applaud you. Uh, yeah, ultimately, I lost interest after 30 or 40 minutes. And if you want to watch fish-out-of-war cop comedy thing, drama, watch Beverly Hills Cop, it's better.
0: Oh, no, I disagree with that. This has more class than Beverly Hills Cop and a better music score.
3: <laughs> no way. Okay. No way does it have a better music score. My entire life in music lessons as a teenager was about who could play Beverly Hills Cop theme on a keyboard.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Neil?
1: Well, I guess it was better than I thought it was going to be because you chose it, so I immediately <laughs> thought it was going to be crap.
0: Um, and this is me trying to educate and, you on film history. And
1: there, and there are some good scenes in there. I mean, obviously, the bar fight has been, um, been mentioned more than once. But again, as you, as Phil just said, the the scenes with John Wayne and Judy Geeson just ugh. yeah. I mean, it, it's not as bad as Bruce Willis and Mary Louise Parker and Red. I must admit, but yeah, it came close. And but another thing that made me really irritated was that hollywood showing how silly those british coppers are for not having mm. guns and oh isn't it lucky at the end and spoiler alert uh isn't it lucky john wayne has his gun so he can kill the assassin it was just a whole load of nra bullshit in there as well <laughs> it just oh, yeah
0: I, I think it, that, it, that's it, politically it, insensitive i don't think it's anything oh. like that
1: it irritated me in ways that I didn't really imagine a film would do, but, yeah, okay, yeah, Beverly Hills Cop, I agree, Phil, is a far better fish-out-of-water film, and witty.
0: Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> I've not seen any more, you lot.
2: Oh, oh, have we all pissed on your firework, Jeff? Sorry.
0: <laughs> pissed on my leg and told me it's raining. Um, yeah.
2: Okay, let's get more up to date as we get this month's Darren's Dash.
4: Okay, the first film that I'm going to talk about is The the Hunt, which was actually the last film I managed to see before the cinemas closed. So uh, fortunately, it was one that I really, really did enjoy. Um, The story is that a group of strangers wake up and realise that they've been kidnapped and that they're on the field and they're being hunted. And it turns out that their targets have been all targeted because they all have um, right wing um, or, or politically incorrect uh, viewpoints, and so they've been rounded up by a bunch of elite liberals to be uh, hunted down. And Betty Gilpin is the um, one who copes with the situation the best, and she's the one who survives, and she takes a fight to her hunters now. It's quite good that this film got released when it did because it actually did put back and it it basically upset quite a lot of people. Right wingers were opposed to the film because it made fun of them and sort of justified them being hunted. While left wingers didn't like the film because they thought it made you sympathetic towards the plight of right wing people. These were all people who were complaining about the film before they'd even seen it, because it was so it was very much like the Joker in that situation. There's not really a lot to be upset about in this film because, as the filmmakers themselves have actually said, they weren't trying to do a political satire at any point. This was just meant to be a fun, dark comedy. And I really, really enjoyed it. There's there's a lot of good action in there, a lot of really genuinely funny and gory moments in there. There's also a lot of characters who are, frankly, complete and utter stereotypes, but really funny. For example, the the Liberals are um, very sort of, you know, politically PC and everything. There's a really funny moment where they're, looking at a videotape of people who were sort of discussing who who to kidnap to basically hunt down. And there's a moment where they um, they come across a a person of colour and they start to have this debate on whether it's racist to actually kidnap him and include him in the hunt or is it racist to not have a person of colour in the hunt? There's that sort of like humour going on. (laughs) I personally, as somebody who is sort of considering themselves kind of central, who has sort of left-wing and right-wing views, I'm actually sort of interested in the whole sort of demonising the other side uh, situation that goes on. So I was a little disappointed that there wasn't a bit more satire in this. Any points it made was completely like hammered over the head. There was no subtlety about the film. But if you take this as just a film just as a lot of fun and that basically is sort of like you know, a dark comedy and reflection of the whole sort of situation at the moment, where people basically on the left and right are just so totally opposed to each other and how we live in this really PC climate at the moment. I think there is a lot of fun to have in there, and I really, really did enjoy it.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's one I'd definitely catch up with.
4: Next film I saw was actually a film from last year. This is um, currently on Shudder. It's a movie called One Cut of the Dead. And it's a Japanese movie and it's about a film crew who are making a zombie movie. And as they're filming this, what appears to be a real life zombie outbreak takes place that they get mixed up in. I'm not gonna say a lot about this film because it really is a lot a very clever film. There's a lot of zombie movies nowadays. Go on any of these sort of channels like Arrow or Shudder, But just also many of them. That this is a really clever film that plays around with the whole found footage genre. And it's got and I, like I said, I'm not gonna say a great deal about it because half of fun is actually finding out what sort of film you are actually watching. There are times when there's sort of like really odd little things happen that make you sort of think, well, what the hell was that all about? But it ties together so well at the end. For a long time, one of the most original movies that I've seen, and I would say if you're going to watch this film, go into it as blind as you can, because you don't want to spoil anything on it. But just this is just a really sort of cracking, you know, fun movie. It plays around with, uh, with things, like I said, we found footage, with fourth wall break and stuff like that. It's, this, this was a really impressive movie, and I think this really should become a, a cult classic down the line. Although it's a horror film, it's sort of, it's kind of not. In fact, it's, 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 it's horror, but it's not massively, massively gory. Although what gory in there, you sort of find out isn't gory. It's a, the, I'm, <laughs> I'm probably going off a tangent here, but basically this is a really, really great film.
0: Again, I'm intrigued enough to watch it. Okay. I never even heard of it before you mentioned it.
2: How scary is it, really? You said it's not that scary. But- um, Maybe if you're really, really against
4: horror, I would say possibly not. Because basically, once you've seen the film, you realise it's not that scary. But probably when you're watching it, it, probably if you're really averse to horror, maybe not watch it. But it's, it's not, I will say this, it's not your typical zombie movie. Another one I found on the um, on the on the, one of the smaller channels. This was on Arrow, uh, Arrow Media, and this is a film called Harpoon, which is a Canadian film. It's directed by somebody called Rob Grant, who is not the Red Dwarf guy. It's a simple movie. Um, it basically starts off with three friends who are in a troubled relationship. Two of them are in a relationship, and there's tension because the guy in the relationship thinks the other two are actually having an affair behind his back. To sort of try and sort, of sort all this out, they go on, on a cruise on their private little boat and they end up getting marooned in the middle of the ocean. And basically from there, things get really, really tense. Uh, they have to make decisions on how they're going to survive this and, and how to get out of the situation we are in. Things get very violent. Um, revelations are made and it gets very gory. This is a really tense, claustrophobic, but good little movie. The characters are really easy to get a hold on very quickly. When it started, I actually, it reminded me a little bit of the um, the TV series Spaced. But it sort of gets really dark really, really quick. It's a short little film. Um, It's just under 90 minutes. There are one or two scenes in there that probably labour a little longer point. But there's lots of twists along the way, lots of revelations, a lot of dark humour as well. The, the characters go off on them, you know, separate tangents from from where they start off. I, I really like this. It's a really small budget film, but I thought this was a really worth a while to to search out for. And again, it's a film that you probably would sort of miss. It's not one I'd ever heard of. It just happened to see it on the uh, on on Arrow. So it's a really good one. Why is it called Harpoon? Well, it's called Harpoon because one of the guys, it's his birthday, and for his birthday, they buy him a, a harpoon for this trip that they're going on. The harpoon does come into play later. Okay. <laughs> okay, this is a film going back to 2005, because this is one that I actually got on DVD. I'd heard Which of, film's this uh, well, Sorry, this is Brick. I'd heard about this film, but I knew absolutely nothing about it. I actually got it on DVD in a, a charity shop for a pound a few months back, which is where I get most of my DVDs nowadays. I had no idea about it. It's actually Ryan Johnson's debut film, and it also got a, a young Joseph, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt in it. And the film is basically a story of a high school student who gets involved in the uh, problems of one of his ex-girlfriends, and she ends up murdered. And he basically sets about to try to find out who actually did it and ends up basically being dragged into this um, underground crime world that's going on at this school. Now, what's clever about this film is it's a high school drama, but the story is done in the style of a hardboard film noir. It's really, really clever. The um, basically various drug in there with these who are headed by these leaders who are almost like a, a hard-boiled villain um you've got several female characters who are kind of like um a, you know a bit of the the, the troubled um, damsel in distress femme fatale type situation you've got a principal who's kind of like the, uh, the corrupt detective you've got snitches it's also uh, you've even got like sort of people who are like folks who are almost like hired hitmen. It's a really clever movie. I I thought this was absolutely great. It's a very complex story as well. But if you're actually a fan of like Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett type stories, you'll be able to easy to follow. In fact, if you watch the film, you'll get more of the kick out of it because you'll see all the references and everything. I really absolutely enjoyed this. It's a really, really good story joseph gordon levitt's great in it he's he's, again he's got like this this flawed detective type thing going on about his personality i I thought this was a cracking movie and uh, like i say it's one i'd heard of but i'd not seen um but it's definitely worthwhile um, searching out
3: have you seen that film? yeah i have i love that film i think it's brilliant
2: all right that's definitely going on my list
3: Okay, so we've got
0: one more left
4: there. Yeah, okay, so the last one I've got is Why Don't You Just Die? And This is a, um, a Russian movie. It starts with a young guy who arrives at a policeman's apartment uh, claiming to be a friend of his daughter, and he's brought with him a hammer, and it turns out that he's basically been sent there to, to kill him by his uh, by the policeman's daughter. And things deteriorate or escalate, very, very rapidly. There's a really violent, gory battle between the two, which has got lots of comedy moments in it as well. And from there, you get a load of flashbacks to sort of show the story of how everything came to to this point. It's kind of got a little bit of a Tarantino-style narrative in that sense, um, very much like Pulp Fiction. In fact, the story behind it is very much like a pulp novel, a story got line going on with a cachet of stolen money. It's got a pulp style. It does have the aesthetic of it is like if you ever saw a film like um delicatescent, it's got that sort of grimy palette tone, sort of like uh European art house style movie to it. And it's even got a bit of like a, I would say, train spotting feel to it, particularly with the main character, reminding me of a Ewan McGregor character from that film. This is probably one of the most extremely messed up films I have seen in ages. It's very violent. It's very shocking in places. The humor's really, really dark, but it's also really funny. It's not for the faint-hearted, but I think this is one of, possibly one of the best films I've seen so far this year. Absolutely, you know, really, really funny. Really keeps you engaged the entire time. And yeah, this, this is a, a, a cracking movie. This one is uh, currently on Arrow. So again, that's a, so that's another reason to get um, Arrow. You're probably able to get it, which if you've got Amazon Prime, you can get all these other little channels. It's on the Arrow channel at the moment. You're supposed to get a cinema release, but then all this happens,
0: so you know. Yeah. How I like that summing up and then all this happens.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, okay, well, this
2: that's is- another one I for me.
0: I, I must admit I saw Brick a few years ago and I can't remember a thing about it. So I must have to go back and have a look at that then.
3: I've got to say I know Ryan Johnson obviously gets grief for Star Wars and what have you, but his early career is really great. So Brick was the first one. He also did a film called The Brothers Bloom with Matt Ruffalo. And then he he did Looper as well. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. some really, really good stuff there. Um, When uh, you mentioned One Cut of the Dead, I remembered it was a film that my brother told me about last year because I think I've said to you before he follows Asian cinema. And I dug out his review, which hopefully isn't spoilery, but this is what he sent me when he watched this film. He said, it's truly a free act film. The first is almost painfully bad. I laughed occasionally, but generally it comes across as poorly acted, low budget and visually awful horror film. The second act feels like a TV drama. And then the third act knocks you on the floor at how phenomenal it is. It's full of energy, feels off the cuff, is genuinely funny and entertaining, and it just would not work without those two acts that came before it.
4: I mean, that's why I I said when there's there's some, like, really weird moments that happen when you think, what was that? There were some bits in it that I thought, that's, God, that's really shoddy and really poor." I'll have edited that. But it, it's a film that basically makes sense when you have actually get to the end. It's a film you've got to like, really give a chance to. Mm.
3: Right.
0: Fair enough, then. Well, thank you for that, Darren. Okay, out of all the films we've reviewed, which film would you, each reviewer, rate above all others this month? And to make it more interesting, you can't pick your own selection. <laughs> Neil.
1: <laughs> I'm going to say Field of Dreams. Graham.
2: Oh, well, that means I can say Field of Dreams. I was going to go American Psycho.
1: American Psycho. Um, I'll pick Field
0: of Dreams. Darren?
4: Uh, Invisible Man.
3: Phil? Can I have two, please? And if, go on, you sort, You've sort of made it easy because I can't pick my own, but I'd say Field of Dreams and The Invisible Man.
0: Well, there we go. Field of Dreams, The Invisible Man, the films to, to watch out for.
3: So that's three, two, Field
0: yep. of Dreams.
1: Yep. Okay. Next one. I win again. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, that's for next month. We will continue to put out as much material as we can. As our Twitter hashtag says, still podcasting. So, gentlemen, I can safely announce that's a wrap. And another at the flicks is in the can.
0: Well, thank you, everybody. I think it's been a great show. Now, can I suggest for next month's reviews, we each pick a film we've always meant to see, and now we're in lockdown, we finally have the time to watch it. What do you think? And I'll tell you up front what mine's going to be. It's going to be Children of Men.
3: Oh, brilliant oh, film. Have you them. not seen that before? It's amazing. Oh, oh man. I well, can make you like, don't have to answer now, well, but if you want to. I can make it easy on myself because well, like, I borrowed Old Boy, the original from my brother, about two years ago, and I still have the Blu-ray and haven't watched it. <laughs>
2: Oh, that's What a treat! Is a great film. So that's I should, I, gonna I
3: shall, yes. m- if you are going to force me to do it, I'll do that.
0: Okay, and that means I've got to watch the foreign
3: language. I can't watch the American version. Then. No, you, you've got to watch the, oh, the, the Korean version.
1: Well, I am just going to find a foreign language film that just to annoy well, Jeff. Again, already done it. No, I can choose um, Bicycle Thieves, oh, maybe.
0: <laughs> what about you, Darren? Do you want time to think on it?
4: Yeah, um, I w- When you said that, I actually was going to say Old Boy as well. So I'll have to pick another one. So I've never seen um, <laughs> go for the American
0: remake of Old Boy.
4: <laughs> um, I've n- I've never seen Let There Be Blood, which 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 Ooh, uh, everyone is cool always going on, on about is is this uh, classic, and I've never got around to seeing that. So maybe I'll give that a try.
2: Uh, nor have I. No, I'll look forward to that okay well jeff's been helping me with my selection so i'm 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 t- torn between candy man the Duke, <laughs> and uh, trolls world tour because jeff assures me they're all about fun singing mythical creatures what could possibly go wrong
0: right you're mixing me picking them for you or emma <laughs>
2: there's no shark films in there emma would just recommend shark films yeah Okay. Okay.
1: Okay. And to everyone else, thanks for listening, and goodbye.
2: Right. This episode is dedicated to all of you out there struggling with the ongoing lockdown. Just remember, this will eventually end, and stay safe. To make sure you never miss an episode of this podcast, please subscribe to At The Flicks at our website at theflix.uk. And if possible, please remember to rate and review At The Flicks wherever you get your podcasts. You can contact the team on Twitter or by email. Our contact details are also on our website at theflix.uk. Thanks for listening.